0: Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today's show features Toby Tungle, Vice President of Sales at Epiphan Video. Toby began his professional career in the IT world during the dot-com boom and crash. In 2005, he jumped from IT to the AV industry. Since then, he has helped grow systems integrator organizations by creating and implementing client retention strategies to drive top-line revenue and open new physical locations across the U.S. In 2022, Toby joined Epiphan Video as Vice President of Sales for North America. He is responsible for managing all brands, distribution channels, and sales deployment in North America. In addition, he developed strategic sales objectives based on company goals to promote growth and customer satisfaction for the organization. Toby is an entrepreneurial development and profit oriented leader who communicates an innovative vision for the future and inspires his teams to execute the transformation. We live streamed this interview on social media on Wednesday, April 20th, 2022 at 12.30 PM Eastern time. During our time together, we discussed how Toby uses and leverages Twitter to connect with his industry, the current state of UCC solutions in the pro AV space, the mind and body health of an ultra athlete and the importance of building and curating your network. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do as well. Let's tune into this interview with Toby Tungle.
1: Toby, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing better now that my internet's back up and running. Uh, I've, uh, Bribe the local comcast guy with a case of beer and hopefully he leaves me alone for the next couple hours
0: i was gonna say what did it take because you ran out of the house for those that are watching we were connected for a while and then he went away and he called me he's like wait i gotta go do something i'll be right back so it was was a a a six-pack got him to leave leave the property for a little bit
1: it was almost a case of beer you know i bought it a couple days ago I may or may not have had a couple over the last couple days and just threw it in the back of his truck and said, Look, go have a fun afternoon. Just leave me alone till tomorrow.
0: <laughs> that's all I gotta try that. That's, it that's, works occasionally.
1: It's so not always. Sometimes I, you get guys that would rather have barbecue or, you know, a Jimmy John sandwich, but this time it
0: worked. Yeah. We're my, here, we've had some stuff done on our property and, and we're big on the Gatorade giveaway, but uh the six pack of beer, I could see how that could be more effective for sure.
1: Yeah, especially on a hot day, you know, go back to the house, hang out in the backyard, maybe pop a couple open, enjoy yourself a little bit.
0: I love it. Toby, for those that, uh, if anyone is on Twitter, you know who this man is, because he is prolific in all of the channels, uh, in all the places, with all the people that you know and you love, and uh, I've been following you, uh, sir, for, for a long time, so I'm honored to have you join me here on the show. And um, super excited about the conversation we're gonna have. But for those that don't know you, can you give us maybe uh, who is Epifan video or what is Epifan video and and what's kind of your role there?
1: Sure. Uh, it, it's I'm super thankful to actually be on the show with Iran. I mean we did have some fun obviously earlier on the Twitter uh, with uh, BLC. So if anybody wants a a good fun <laughs> show of taking pictures from behind people and having a little fun during an event, all right, We'll uh, clarity to that in a minute. So
0: people know what we're talking about. All right. But we'll, uh, yeah. we'll, do yeah, that we'll, we'll get in there. A
1: yeah, it's good though. Uh, so uh, who who am I? Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm VP of sales for North America for Epifan Video. Uh, I have the privilege of leading a really awesome team here that covers all of our dealers, uh, distribution channels, and our direct end client. Really it, I get to do some really cool things with video technology on a day day in and day out basis and building strategies and, You know, one of my most favorite things to do is talk to clients and do different things with uh, folks in our industry. So I get to continue to do that. Um, I recently joined up a fan in February. So I'm still getting kind of up to speed, feet wet, all that good stuff, but super happy to kind of continue to to push forward. Uh, On the company itself, uh, you know, we we've got employees on every continent except for Africa and Antarctica, because I'm not sure anybody wants to live in that cold environment. Maybe some do. Uh, we call ourselves the EpiFam when we are on our weekly calls to make sure everybody's kind of checking in, doing well. Uh, we are very, very uh, fortunate to actually have a really good remote team, and we were mostly remote even before COVID started. That just helped accelerate that. So, you know, what is EpiFam? Everybody's familiar with what your basic UC, you know, unified collaborac- collaboration and broadcast quality is. You know, Epifan is driving the innovation of where those two intersect. Uh, You know, everyone wants the ease of the one button join for, you know, a video call, but they also want to have a super high quality event for, say, their executive team or a town hall or a sales kickoff. And we really operate in bringing those two worlds together. Uh, You know, the ease of use thing, I tend to call that CEO proof. Some people love that. Some people hate that. But, you know, when you've got executives in a room, they want it to be really simple. Uh, So we've got a lot of cool things revolving around that. And we are a video streaming and encoder company. Um, and one last thing to kind of talk about, we do have some uh, interesting roots of where our company started with what they call frame grabbers, and we actually have those on the International Space Station. So that's how they get some video feeds back down to Earth.
0: Well, all right, you got to tell me, more. I'm, I'm a big space nerd, so tell me. Oh, yeah? One. Yeah, what, what is that thing on the – you said the space shuttle. Is it on the – is it in the uh, the thing that's, that's orbit? I can't be too much of a nerd because I can't get the right <laughs> words out of my mouth. So is it on the space shuttle that now no longer flies or is it on the International Space uh, System or Center that's orbiting Earth at 17 or 18,000 miles an hour?
1: <laughs> International Space Station.
0: Station, I mean. there you go. It's, you know, whenever yeah. you're live, it, it's as soon as you have an audience and, and you're mm-hmm. live, you're like, all right, my brain's going to freeze up. So hopefully some people out there uh, feel my pain here. Yeah. The (laughs) international space uh, station. Is -hmm. that where it's at?
1: Yes. So it's a frame grabber. So it takes one type of video signal, converts it to another video signal. And I, if I would have thought about it, I would have given you the picture for that, Ron, but we actually have pictures on the international space station of actually with the product on the wall, with them up in the, in space. And we have a couple of, uh, Uh, of those folks on our advisory board for our executive team as well so it's very very cool Um, it's a very very unique use case and we're up in space I mean how many people can say that
0: that's well I've I've been people have claimed I'm up in space most of the time but (laughs) I'm not really up in space that's that's that's
1: funny I love it Uh,
0: so, and did you describe where you're at physically? Where, where, what state are you in? State uh, no, state.
1: I, 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 didn't. I, uh, I'm in the Mitten State or Michigan. So, I'm in West Michigan in, in the Grand Rapids area, about 45 minutes or so from the beautiful lakeshore. Okay. This time of year is a little bit of a gray sky, and you know, yesterday I, uh, I posted on social media. I copied and pasted this from someone else, but uh, due to supply chain, we just now delivered your snow and freezing rain that you ordered in February. It is now March 50th. And you're welcome. We're sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> March 50th. Is it? So what's the air temperature outside right now?
1: Uh, right now it's 45. It's supposed to be 75 on Saturday. So everybody in the typical Michigan will be out in their shorts and tank tops and mowing lawns. And then again, it'll be 50 on Monday. So it's normal. All
0: right. So I, I I have to now tell the the BL, the BL NSCA BLC story where I, I hope I nicely spooked you and Tim uh, Albright. So one Firefly just joined NSCA. So this was our very first BLC conference. And so as a result, a lot of the businesses in the room, I don't, I don't know, right? Jessica Weiss from our team and I were at the show. And so I don't know many people, but I, I see two, the back of two individuals that I've been following, you know, and I, I know Tim, I've been on his shows uh, for years, but I'd been seeing you, but I didn't know you. And I just thought it would be funny as heck to take a picture of the back of your heads uh, at your table as you were watching some presentation and then drop that onto your Twitter feeds because you are both avid Twitterers and, uh, and just to see with the reaction. And uh, it was, I don't know, what, what did you guys think when you saw that image posted? Wait, is Twitterer a word? I don't know.
1: Grammar is not my strength. Trademark that, that's fair. Uh, you know, it was pretty funny. Tim and I were, were messing with somebody else on Twitter doing something similar. And then all of a sudden, we, we saw that picture come up in our feed, and I'm looking around wondering, okay, where's Ron? I had never met you in person either, but looking around, Tim's looking around, and Tim's like, oh, there he is. He's got the hat on got the beret hat on that's why we can't see him really You're kind of hiding behind a few people and yeah we, we had a good time with it. it it was it was a lot of fun and you know that's the kind of stuff that keeps you on your toes when you're at an event like that because people are watching you from every angle
0: well the funny thing is i was uh you know i'm enjoying I'm i'm like a late bloomer with twitter like in twitter's early years i didn't quite get it i didn't understand it and it wasn't until maybe the last three or four years that it's really I've come to understand it and understand what it can mean for me and, and kind of my day-to-day life, both personally and professionally. And so there are orbits of circles of influence on Twitter that I follow for certain sort of kind of, if I want to tap into the live consciousness of a thing. And so an example of a thing would be the the, the, the pro-AV commercial integrator space you and Tim are of a circle of individuals that are highly active in the space. And I personally also happen to have a hobby in, you know, crypto and and Bitcoin and all that stuff. And so I'm kind of tapped into the global consciousness of crypto. And it's awesome because you get this live feed of all of these thought leaders around the world that are, are communicating. And so I'm, When I'm in my account and I'm 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 in a certain channel, I'm following you and Tim and all of your sphere of influence. I don't participate much, but I sit and watch and listen because I like to know what's going on. But then I think I did see you guys messing with someone. And I was like, and I knew I saw you both looking down at your phones at the table while there was a presenter on stage. (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm totally gonna mess with them and and see what happens. So that that I appreciate that we all had a good laugh about it, but it, it was funny.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the 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 guy in in general that we were messing with was Matt. He's up in Canada. He's the the Resi side of uh, Aviation for Tim, and um, there was a flat Matt picture that rolled around Infocom last October as well. And yes. uh, as as if you do follow me on Twitter, you'll know that I'm an extremely positive person with positive quotes and different things. And Matt was giving me a hard time, so then Tim and I were were doubling down on being super positive back to Matt. And doing different situations for gifts and pictures, and you know, keeping it light.
0: What is your Twitter origin story like? You're you're active. It's a platform. You you not only consume content, but you you have a social network on Twitter. I get you know. I just described my a little bit of my origin story and how I came to it late. Did you come to it late, or have you always been active on that platform?
1: Uh, my story is probably a little unique. I was very, very active in the early days, and then I decided to delete it for some ridiculous reason. And I spent about a year or so kind of away from it. And then I realized that you know there's a lot of good that comes out of Twitter. There's a lot of noise and nonsense, but a lot of the people that I talk to in the industry, and friends, and family, and, and just digesting to your point, some of the news and different uh, hobbies that I follow. It's a really good place to be. So I've started to rebuild that up since probably maybe eight or nine years ago. So not terribly long, but you know it's a slow burn to get it to where you want it, right? And getting things aligned and different channels and, and so on and so forth. But I really enjoy it. I have a lot of fun with it, especially at events. I'm probably uh, overzealous on, on the Twitter feeds, but you know that's that's just who I am and, and what I like to do. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So let, let's go into your backstory, Toby. What's your what's your origin story?
1: Ah, uh, so it's not a normal origin story for a lot of folks. I, Is it uh,
0: DC or Marvel? What, uh,
1: ooh, it's probably Marvel, to be completely honest. Okay, just to be fair. All uh, right. So you know, two thousand one dot com boom craziness, and I decided, hey, let's go jump into technology, and I dove in head first. And I started working for a company called SequoiaNet.com. Uh, we called it the Tree back then, and obviously business was booming through Y2K and all the craziness. And then it wasn't, and we went through a handful of different acquisitions in you know a few years, and it really opened my eyes to be pretty scrappy and pretty client-focused from that perspective as we went through those different transitions from ownership and leadership. And you know, it's really what got me hooked onto that just innovation of what we do in both pro-AV and technology. Uh, you know, I didn't go to college. I jumped out of high school and decided I want to go to work. I know the certifications. I had uh, some friends that were in the industry that had various different certifications. It went to college and said, you know what? If you're a doctor or a lawyer, by all means go, but if you're coming in this industry, it's probably not necessary. So I, I continued down that path. And in probably 2005 is 2006, I had an opportunity with a client to actually dabble in some Pro AV. Well, probably not so much Pro AV now, but it was pretty cool back then with some plasma TVs installed and some things like that. But I decided, hey, let's, let's take a shot at it and do it. And from that moment on, I was kind of hooked. So through that, uh, that little bit of a project that really wasn't a big revenue maker or anything like that, we, we started to really build out a Pro AV structured cabling or what we call media services division within that company. And we just started building it. And that's kind of where I realized that outside of all the technical things that I truly love about our industry, I really love that customer focus and sales side of it. So I slowly transitioned into more of a sales focus and pre-sales and business area manager from that perspective, at a company called Analyst International, uh, which was, I think, our final acquisition of the SequoiaNet.com brand back in 2004, 5, 6, I guess, maybe. Um, I left there and worked for uh, went headfirst into the pro AV world and worked for integrators for the next ten years. After that, um, I spent the last you know ten, eleven years working for an integrator, opening offices, building new business lines, expanding across uh, you know the nation and, uh, and the globe for that matter, and really learning what it means to be that customer focused, customer centric, uh, or what I call you know red carpet, not red tape approach with clients and acquisitions from that perspective. So I've had a lot of fun doing it. And then in February, just to kind of continue to focus on my challenge of doing something different and continuing to be, you know, uh, outside of the norm, I guess. I had to jump to the manufacturer side just to understand that side of the business so I can really focus more on, you know, building out my my professional kind of resume to understand what it takes for manufacturers to make products, uh, work through that product line, their innovation map, all that good stuff, just to basically... Give me a much better picture as we start to look through the next few years with supply chain craziness that we're all experiencing, you know, how they operate and and how do I bring that back to our clientele.
0: Well, You've you've chosen such a, dare I say, challenging time to jump on the manufacturer side of the equation.
1: Yeah, maybe. It depends on which manufacturer, right?
0: Ah, it depends <laughs> on which manufacturer. All right, so what what has been your, uh, I have a couple of threads I want to pull there, but what, what has been your biggest maybe aha moment, jumping on the manufacturer side?
1: I, I always thought they had an easy job, <laughs> just to be honest with you. it It was pretty eye-opening the first couple of weeks, just how much they're doing to make sure that their clients and their integrators and their customers aren't experiencing all the pain that they are for the chip shortage and the product shortage for the metal and all the craziness that's happening in the world right now. I mean, they're, they're looking at product roadmaps that, you know, your typical integrator is not going to see for another 18 months. And I was just, I I probably knew it in the back of my mind, but I just kind of chose to ignore it for some reason. And it's been, it's been really, really good to understand that process. That's,
0: that's fascinating. What, I'm imagining, and I I think I know this, but you now are on the inside, and you've seen it both from the, the integrator side and the manufacturer side of the equation. What has been happening, I'm just going big picture here, with COVID the last several years, I'm assuming that there's been a change in how Integrators are solving problems for businesses, and the 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 way businesses are operating from an IT and AV standpoint. You know the and we're doing marketing for more and more commercial integration firms, and and the language of UCC and the the the, the creative solutions that I'm hearing about as it relates to how. Uh, the technology in the office is, in some cases, brought into the homes of the executives so that they're they're uh, ideally seamless and the company can operate virtually. And you, you were even mentioning Epiphan is mostly a virtual company, right? I, I don't yeah. know if that's accurate, but it, what are you seeing there? Is there a change in what's happening out there in the pro-AV landscape in the last two, two years or so since COVID came about?
1: You know, on the pro-AV integration side, there absolutely is. You know, nobody was really ready when COVID happened and everybody needed to go work remotely. That's nothing that we're not, you know, we're all sick of hearing that, right? What's really interesting to me now is we start to look at 2022, you know, COVID's coming high and low and it's getting better, right? I don't think that it's ever going to go away, but there's a lot of leadership teams in, in you know in, in the entire country that are looking at more of that hybrid approach, which really drives, I think, a lot of people intrinsically to do more for their organization. And they are working on executive kits, they are working on home kits, and they are working and figuring out how to make things easy, whether they're at home, they're at the coffee shop, you know, they're sitting at a campsite up north somewhere, they're sitting on the beach in Florida, or they're back at the office and, and actually, you know, collaborating with folks. People do miss that in-person interaction um they are working i mean we, you know at fan, we've got a couple different things relative to those executive kits as well just as everybody else does but it's going to be really interesting in my personal opinion uh, you know in six months or 12 months when you know things come back around and they go oh well we weren't really ready before i i don't know if we're any more ready we are now through that whole learning piece because they've kind of taken a step back now and said well if we're hybrid, just come back to the office and hang on and do your work there and then go back home. And they're, they're, they're losing the mindset that so many of the generation that we have out there now are looking at it from a perspective of, yeah, I want to be around people, but three days a week, I can be home. I can be focused. Give me those tools to be super awesome at my job. And then when I want to come to the office and have the water cooler talks and hang out with people and do more collaboration, I'll do that. And I think that the integration teams as a whole, as well as IT, they're starting to get some product roadmaps around that, but it might be a little too late for, for some of them as people start to get back to the office this summer. For the
0: integrators that are tuned in here, what, what are the paths of education or discovery they should go down to kind of learn what are the best ways to design solutions that are, are best for their, their customers around this UCC conversation? are there i mean where do you go do you go to i mean i know we have infocom coming up around the corner in june and, and i this is not my first language i'm learning this language so where where do do those that are listening where do they go to to learn what the current best practices are
1: you know infocom's a big show right that's coming up i think in 50 days or so i saw on twitter this morning i mean that's pretty quick here uh, next week we've got the nav show which is in vegas which is for the broadcasters uh, we've got ISE that's overseas. There's not a lot of folks that will jump across the pond for that this year just simply because it's so close to Infocom. Uh, and then, you know, I'm a big believer that CES, or the Consumer Electronics Show in January, drives a lot of what happens in the commercial side for integration. Mm-hmm. And if you keep an eye on that, you'll typically see some, some good strategy nuggets for what the consumer demand is going to look like, which typically drives the commercial strategy for how we work at home as well as how we work in the office. And I, I believe that there's some integrators that get that and they're building training strategies around that, leveraging the VIXA, leveraging, you know, all the manufacturers and their specific training to really empower their teammates, not only from a technical perspective, but a culture perspective so they can operate in a more efficient way.
0: Got it. You said the what the NAB show
1: is next week? Yep. Yep. in Vegas starts on uh, Sunday through Wednesday next week. You're going to go work that show? I am, I have a huge team there. I am not going. So I know that sounds crazy for, for what I'm doing. Oh, no, it sounds
0: awesome. I, I, <laughs> not, not having to travel in this day and age, I think those are always wins.
1: Well, so we've got, uh, when it so it's typically in February, and they moved it because of the COVID cases to, to April. And this weekend, um, my wife has a 50K run up north. So I am going to be the good husband, the good family man, as I would always do, and fly up there and, and hang out with her for the weekend, uh, which essentially with the show starting on Sunday, being in Vegas, I wouldn't get out there till Monday afternoon. Not really worth it. But we've got a full crew out there. Um, they're going to be out there showcasing all kinds of cool stuff, hanging out with everybody and all the AV tweets. So they're, they're looking forward to it.
0: Any big product announcements you guys are going to do there?
1: Um we exactly. do have a couple. Do is, a that, couple. Is,
0: is that the show where you do big announcements or do you do it at some other type of event?
1: Uh we typically will trickle in NAB and Infocom pretty equally, depending on what the actual announcement is. So for next week, although it's it's been announced on newsletters and social media, we've got a Teams connector uh that's tied in there where Folks that are actually at Teams house can actually have a bot kind of join their Teams meeting and they can extract that feed to a virtual production studio where they can do encoding and mixing and push that back out. Uh, we're not uh, completely up to speed on what that's going to take for, you know, the, the general enterprise person yet, but we've got a lot of good people on board with that. We've got a lot of good feedback with that and we're really starting to tweak that tool for a lot more integrators to resell to their clients and the clients to digest it and really focus on that more polished, uh, flawless experience for their their town halls.
0: Now that you're on the manufacturer side, do you look at how the dialogue should most effectively happen from an integrator to the manufacturer when there's either product requests that you'd like to see or product issues that are observed? Do you have empathy now for the manufacturer now that maybe you're the one receiving feedback, whereas
1: previously you may have been the one dishing feedback? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it's funny you bring it up. We actually had a meeting a couple of days. I think it was Friday last week where we talked about, uh, we had a new product software add-on launch that happened on the 13th. And we were walking through the typical integration dealer and how they would handle it, what their typical value add for, for a client would be. And I'm listening to it, going, okay, guys, that's great, but that's not how an integrator is going to want to see it, right? So my perspective brings a much different perspective on what the marketing team is looking at. It's been awesome because it allows them to really tweak that message, where then the integration companies can grasp it and really focus on their clients day one. That was something that you know on the integration side we struggled with 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 a handful of companies, not Epiphan of course, but where they would launch a new product and you know uh, Ron Callis uh, Incorporated product. And it wouldn't give us any data or any real, you know, substance to how to position it with a client, and that's a big miss for a lot of manufacturers, in my opinion. And w- there's some that do it really, really well, and some that are starting to get there. And that's a that's something that I believe that um, we'll be able to really get honed in more in the next couple of months as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's either the product was conceived by an engineer knowing that it 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 was it was going to theoretically round out the product line, or maybe it was born out of customer feedback, made it into the engineering channels, resulted in a new product, but then in the life cycle of getting it launched, didn't make it through the marketing team knowing exactly what problem it was solving. And it then gets brought to market as another black box or another add-on. But I would imagine a lot of wasted opportunities for manufacturers bringing solutions to market without clarity around what problem it's solving.
1: Oh, hundred percent. And is it any good manufacturer or any, you know, somebody that's making a product or a software for that matter, if they're not interviewing their clientele and dealers and actually grasping where those holes are, we all have blind spots. Let's be honest. And documenting that that's how you build a really good value story. Otherwise to your point, I mean, it's just like the old story of anybody can put a TV on the wall, but what are you going to do with it? What are you going to plug into it? What's going to be on that TV when you're done with it, right? Yeah. And that's something that uh, there's so much data on the back end, something that I knew happened on the integration side from on the manufacturing teams. But now that I'm on this side and I can read and digest all of that, it's really eye-opening to understand that, at least from a sales uh, strategy perspective, to know what the client's needs are You know, outside of the 10 things that I think are cool, you think are cool. There's that one little nugget that can Completely change the mindset and the roadmap of what you're working on.
0: How, what is the landscape of the the pro AV or the commercial AV space look like the next 12 months? You know, I, I feel that I've my background is uh personally on the residential integration side and I'm learning about the commercial AV side and I'm fascinated and I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hose every day. And but I don't have a good read on exactly kind of what that business environment looks like for you know, if, I, if you look at the you know, I could say any size commercial integrator, but let's just say the typical that I'm talking to regularly is kind of that 10 to $30 million a year firm. What does the business outlook look like ahead for them or from your perspective?
1: You know, I, I still think it's pretty strong. We've got a very growing market. Uh, you know, client demand is probably at its all time high. Inflation is, uh, you know, super crazy out as well. You know, if you look at um, your typical project in the 10 or $30 million company size, they might be able to close a project that has 20 parts on it. They'll get 18, and then those two parts are going to sit there for six months on the backwater list. And those guys, as, as long as they continue to pivot around that, build new strategies, and actually still focus on that client, and, and perhaps you know changing products out, which I know we did on the integration side for you know the last year and making sure projects come to life. I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, the market is is crazy. Uh, you know, I think I saw one of the Avixa emails that came out on the market growth, and it's, it's up already substantially compared to last year. I don't see it slowing down. Uh, I think that the demand with the hybrid work environments, you know, like we talked about earlier, is going to continue through the rest of this year. And honestly, with the chip shortage, it could be another two or three years before they catch up, in my personal opinion, which is going to affect everything else in the innovation side of it, too.
0: How's how's EpiFan? I, I don't know how. I, I don't know whether I'm supposed to ask that loaded question. How's Epifan Video doing with the 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 supply chain stuff that's going on out there? Uh, you know, we're doing okay. Uh,
1: we've actually got uh, some decent product in stock and shipping out on a daily basis. I know that sounds strange for a lot of people in the pro AV world. We do have a couple of product lines that are constrained for a few months, just for different reasons from supplies and and ships and things like that, but. You know, when I was talking to, to Mike, our CEO and Jeff, our CFO, I don't know, two or three months ago, I guess now when I started and they are really good at forecasting what the need is compared to, you know, why they're innovating, how they're innovating and really working with their manufacturing channels to build out that pipeline of product and then spreading it out over when it comes into our warehousings and different things like that. We've gotten really, really lucky on a few, and we've got a lot of new products coming to replace products that we just can't seem to get past that, you know, chipset that's back-ordered two years to get into our product line, right? And a lot of manufacturers are buying out, you know, two and three years of of, uh, upfront cost on those chipsets to get in line to basically push everybody else out of the way as well. So there's a lot of different things that we're dealing with, but, you know, overall, we're doing pretty well. I mean, we've had... We are up almost 27% month over month since the beginning of this year, uh, and we are super thankful for our clients and getting them product to go and install in their their projects and their customer uh, rooms. That's something that a lot of people can't say right now.
0: Big picture, so not EpiFan specific, but maybe your ear to the tracks. Uh, you know, If you watch the news, and I try to do as little of that as possible, but- On occasion, I'll take a peek, or I'll I'll follow. You know, I follow some Twitter feeds around you know world news, and I understand that China's cracking down due to COVID. There's some real weird stuff happening up and down the coast in China, and I've heard rumors that that might further impact supply chain, just in ports closing, port cities. There's you know supposedly many many times the normal quantity of shipping containers that are just frozen out over there. Is there more of a supply shock heading to North America that maybe some don't realize, or is that maybe more blown out of proportion? Do you have any perspective mm-hmm. on that?
1: Well, for the news comment, I'm with you. If it bleeds, it leads. So it's usually a bunch of bad news. So I'm with yeah, you. exactly. Don't I, to it. <laughs> I,
0: my son's 13, I'm teaching him, Max, this is a business and they're selling advertising. Mm-hmm. So know that what they lead with is a lot of hype and and not necessarily the full story. Yeah,
1: it's just what they think is cool for you to click on it. But, That's you right. know, on, on China and the supply chain, I think, at least from what I'm hearing through talking through some different channels, there's a lot of different companies that are shifting manufacturing facilities from China to Taiwan mm-hmm. and China to Japan. And I think that they saw this coming, you know, even maybe 8, 12, 16 months ago. And even what we're doing with some of our products and warehouses over there, we're shifting it out of there as well. Um, none of our products in our company are made in China anymore. Wow. And we do that, on, We that was on purpose, right? So if you look through uh, their huge economy and what they do for, for the States here, I think we might see some con- more constrained products, especially on the consumer side that come from over there. And if we're not prepared for it, who knows what it might look like, especially during you know the holidays and the shopping season. From that perspective, but I mean, also with with the war in Ukraine, like there's there's a lot of different variables for what's happening in imports and exports and things. And I, I think what we're dealing with is here to stay for some time. I think it's going to be you know I hate to even say this out loud, you know, four or five plus years before it gets to some sort of more acceptable. I don't think it's ever going to be what it was but some sort of acceptable time frame or when we want to go and get something or we want to buy something and bring it over to the States.
0: You see a day where a lot of these chips are manufactured right here in the United States. So we have control over supply chain locally. I mean, is there? A sh- I've heard uh, ideas like that. I mean, I've heard of some different chip manufacturers that are going to build in Ohio and build in Texas. Is there a day where our industry is primarily fed from you know domestic
1: uh, silicone chip? Manufacturers, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, I don't think it's going to be primarily. I think what this whole supply chain has really made us, you know, open our eyes to is to be more diversified in where it's made and how we make it. So instead of having such a reliance on one specific country on where we get it from or how we manufacture it, you know, what I'm seeing through, uh, you know, like Jabil Circuit is one of the biggest chip importers in in the world, right? They're building factories in Mexico and all over the world to try to diversify where they make it. So mm. would I love to see it all in California? Absolutely. But I believe that that might also pigeonhole us to a different kind of scenario that we're not even aware of or prepared for yet uh, as things change and the demand changes and the technology changes for you know whatever the demand is, whatever they're making.
0: That makes sense. Uh, a little bit ago, and it wasn't lost on me, you mentioned that your wife is running a 30K race. 50k 50k 50K. now when i was in high school i ran cross country and that was a 5k race so i know that that's 3.1 miles so your wife is running a 31 mile race
1: in the woods yeah it's a trail run um in uh,
0: that 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 sounds superhuman so tell me more about that (sighs)
1: <laughs> she is superhuman. Um, I can't run to the nearby party store to grab a six-pack of beer for the Comcast guy, but <laughs> you know uh, she's she's this huge avid uh, ultra runner. You know, we were just down in Oklahoma in March for South, and she did a fifty k down there. Uh, that was on gravel roads. The, the one this weekend is in Traverse City, Michigan, and it's the Traverse City Trails Fest, and it's it's a mix of single track and double track and all kinds of craziness. Uh, yeah. She's, she's super awesome. I could never ever do that, but you know, we go and we have a lot of fun with that.
0: We have a member of our team here at one firefly. He's an ultra runner and he does these long runs, you know, 30, 50, hundred mile races that, you know, I, I comically, I've joked on this podcast. I walk every morning this morning. I went on my walk and uh, like four months ago, I was feeling so good on my walk. I decided to sprint and then I broke myself and couldn't walk for a month. So the idea that uh, someone's out there running, you know, 30 miles or 50 miles, that's just, that's really an amazing feat. And I'm, you know, I'm young, but I'm getting older and my body parts are like hurting more and more by the week. And so to think to be, you know, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond and running those distances, it I'm pretty confident that there's alien DNA or something involved because my body can't do that. And so I, I think that these people are superhuman. That's at least my takeaway. So folks that are watching, you know, that, uh, our man, uh, Toby, it looks like his internet has frozen. So we're going to wait for him to rejoin us. He should. Oh, there he is. I'm back. He's back. He's back. That's all right. I was talking about alien DNA. So, uh, and he's gone again. <laughs> hey, come
1: on. No, they, all right, you're back.
0: You're back. It's I talked about
1: the Comcast guy. That's why.
0: Yeah, that's why. He's out there messing. He's like, you're on, you're off, you're on, you're off. <laughs> he's messing with you. All right, so I was able to grab some photos uh, uh, from social media. And so I'm going to totally embarrass you now. And I'm going to put these on screen. And these look like some outrageous mountain biking maniac and i i believe this is you so tell our audience i mean my god this bike i, I think that's a bike uh uh looks <laughs> outrageous so uh maybe tell tell our audience about your hobby
1: so i uh i'm an ultra gravel cyclist and a mountain biker and uh you know the, the picture that ron has on screen there That's from Mid-South, which is in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It is a 106-mile bike race. It's typically in the second weekend of March. And uh, just so everybody knows, Oklahoma is not flat either, as everybody thinks the Midwest is. The weather down there is uh, absolutely uh, unpredictable. I've been down there where it's been 65 and sunny. This particular picture was from 2020, the week that COVID blew up. And it was 45 degrees and rainy. And the mud down there, when it gets wet and it stays wet, just becomes like a slurry and milkshake kind of sloppy mess. When it dries, it sticks to everything, which is that picture of my fat bike, which was from 2017, when it was 35 degrees and rain and everybody got hypothermia. Uh, and essentially, it becomes basically like a cake. Everything sticks to it. It will not come off. It sticks to your shoes, your hands, everything on your bike. And it, it's... It's insane to say you go back for those events, but just the the craziness of going down there and trying something hard that most people won't ever do uh, is why we go back. Um, I've got a lot of different races this coming year. I've got 100 mile, 200 mile. The, the big one for me, uh, there's two big ones. I have a 303 mile bike race in Nebraska in August for Gravel Worlds. We start at 5 p.m. on Friday. We ride hopefully 24 hours or less straight through to finish Saturday night. And then this picture right here is from Iceman Cometh, which is the one, the biggest one-day mountain bike race in the country, which is up in Traverse City. Uh, and that is on uh, Anita's Hill, where everybody tends to party and have fun. And somebody snapped my picture a couple of years ago. So that can be just as crazy with weather, where it can be 60 degrees and sunny or 20 degrees and snowing. Um, that year, it was snowing on one part of the course, and then it was dry the other part. So that's why we were kind of muddy. Uh, it's kind of my happy place. I go and I get away from everything, still have my phone in my back pocket, but you have to be focused. If you're not, you, you might hit a tree. So you got to keep your eye on the ball the T-
0: Tell me about your mental preparation, because this is really a story of endurance and the, the ability to suffer and continue through suffering. And any athlete that has ever competed at any level knows what I'm saying. And so yeah. you're you're going a hundred miles on a bike in in arduous conditions, and you're competing, which means you're pushing yourself. And I'm imagining it's it's not fun and it's probably exhilarating. so what what what's the state of mind you're in, both before, during, and after? Uh,
1: before you're you're excited during you know I would be lying to you if I didn't say that there was a couple of dark spots that your brain was telling you. What are you doing? Stop. Get off the bike. This is dumb. This hurts. You know. Uh, but you have to push through that. And it, it essentially becomes a, you know, a strong mind will carry a weak body. A weak you know, body will typically not take a strong mind through that process, right? So you've really got to have a good balance. In, in my opinion, that boils down to nutrition. It's kind of a, a race to see how many calories you can eat to keep your mindset. Uh, and if you get in a bad mind spot and you're, you know, 15 hours into a 200 mile bike ride, you get off the bike for five, 10 minutes and reset, you know, look around and stretch a little bit. You'd be shocked on, you know, just that little bit of a reset of a scenario, how your brain will be like, okay, you stopped for a minute. They might hate you again when you get back on the pedals after that long, but you know, it's part of working through it and who can suffer the most. And I always, my, my mantra out there is, you know, you train for this, keep pushing and it hurts for everybody, not just you. And that's usually what keeps me moving. Dean, uh, a
0: longtime follower of the show, uh, says 25 miles on a mountain bike is hard. 300 miles is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's insanity. That's part of the, the, of the draw for me. Um, <laughs> I've uh, they, There's a 200-mile bike race that's one of my favorites that actually rides from uh, Lake Huron in Michigan all the way across the state to Lake Michigan. It's called Michigan Coast to Coast. And, you know, it's in northern, lower Michigan of spots that you would never, ever see because you're never going to go there in a car. And that's that's really why I do it. You get out there and you get to see a bunch of cool new things. It's suffer. But to be completely honest, when you're done, you can eat whatever you want. You can drink beer. You can eat pizza. You can drink whatever. How it doesn't many, matter.
0: How many calories do you consume on a 200 mile bike ride? I mean, it's got to be tens of thousands.
1: I'm uh, on the one in, um, mid South, which was 106 miles was 14,000 calories consumed on the bike. And I burned 23,000, um, Michigan coast to coast last time we did it, which was 2020. I think I burned 19,000 calories. I lost like four pounds of whatever during that process, water weight. And I think I ate 24, 25,000 calories.
0: How do you, are you carrying that many calories on you in food packs or gel packs, or are you getting them handed to you at food stations or something? Uh,
1: some of it's liquid, some of it's actually hard foods. Uh, there are uh, checkpoints. So the 200 mile bike race has four checkpoints. The 300 mile bike race is self-supported. So if you can't buy it at a gas station, you're not going to get it. Um, it's it, Basically, you have to, to, to train yourself to eat up to gas station garbage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and are, are you sponsored? Do you have anyone that helps you out with clothing or bikes or supplies or is this all self-funded hobby? Uh,
1: mostly self-funded. I do have some sponsors. Uh, Orange Mud supports me for hydration vests, uh, Stages Cycling for power meters and GoPro for cameras. And then I have uh, uh, some earbud companies that are helping me out right now as well. But you know, it's I don't do it for that. I do it just simply because I like their products and then they basically picked me for ambassadorships. Um, for things that I do on Instagram with them. but uh, it's you know keeps things kind of fresh and new products and trying new things all the time.
0: And your so your wife again is also an ultra athlete. Did you mm-hmm. meet her through ultra athlete like social <laughs> events, or did you just randomly run into someone on you know uh, wherever that would happen to be an ultra athlete?
1: Uh, no, so we actually met in high school a long, long time ago, and uh, she, as well as myself, were never really into ultra stuff until maybe the, I, I got back into cycling in 2012. She got really into running probably four years ago, so this is really relatively new in the general perspective for both of us on the ultra side of it. But she's she's crazier than I am. I, I don't know if I'd ever do an ultra. <laughs> Just to be fair.
0: You know what? I, if I was to do an ultra something, I think it would be bike riding that see. I, 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 did bike, bike riding in my youth, a lot of mountain biking in my youth. And, and that seems fun. That's still, I I've been to the mountains. I've been to Utah and mountain biking with one of my buddies and he was like a super athlete. And I just remember how much it sucked then. I was like, this is beautiful, but man, does this hurt. So <laughs> going yeah. for hundreds of miles. Oh my God. That's, that's impressive. That's, that's it's a lot amazing. of fun.
1: I mean, I I I wouldn't say it's the easiest thing in the world, but I enjoy the process and the training and the kind of the data nerd behind it. You know, there's a lot of software that I use to to track my training and different things from that perspective. And I think that process is one of the reasons I do it because I enjoy that that prep around it.
0: You learn to treat your body like an engine, where you look at the fuel and how you care for that engine. I don't know if there's some athletes listening or watching that can relate to that
1: statement, but is that true for you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean that the data behind it and understanding caloric intake, kilojoules power, um, how you feel, because there's a lot of things this is gonna probably sound weird, but off the bike stress is a real thing. You know, what's happening around the kids and the family and you know, do they have tests or what, whatever's going on at work? I mean, you have to keep all that in balance and you can actually see some of that in your training. If you keep an eye on it and you actually track all of it.
0: Oh, that's, that's cool. What, what is a, a normal day for Toby look like you wake up in the morning and what's your routine?
1: Coffee. I mean, that's first and foremost, right? Okay, so first
0: saying you're out of bed, you're to the coffee machine.
1: A hundred percent. Like I got to have my cup, two cups of coffee a day. Hundred. That's, that's where I start my day. Uh, typically from there, the kids, you kick them out off to school and then I get on the bike. Um, you know, a lot of times when it gets warmer here in in the Northern parts, I'll get up at four or five in the morning and go for a two or three hour ride this time of year, you know, it'll be in the trainer in the basement, but it's typically anywhere from 45 minutes to three hours a day on the bike. Um, sometimes that's split between the morning and afternoon. And then, you know, through the day it's meeting with clients and, having a lot of fun through that process. And, you know, I'll typically break in the afternoon when the kids get home for a few hours, make sure they're good and then get back to doing some catch-up work. Um, and then kind of starts all over again. So it's, it's a process. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, it, I wouldn't, wouldn't get out of bed every day if I didn't love what I do both professionally and personally.
0: In terms of professional development or improvement, uh, is there any, podcasts or blogs or, or books or, or resources or places that you go to for, you know, you do have a, a, wonderfully positive attitude. You express that on social media. Where is that? I mean, it certainly from within you, but is there a place that you go to refresh yourself or to, to kind of get new ideas or just to keep it going?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's two authors that are probably one of my two of my favorites, and one is Daniel Pink. You know, for that that drive book, Intrinsically Driven, is is very much one of my favorite books. Um, One of the authors that I tend to rely on, and it's helped a lot with just being very self aware through blind spots, is Dr. Tasha Eurich, and she's got a couple different books out there and tools online that helps you know anybody in their career path, whether they're just starting or you know they've been in a leadership position for multiple decades, to really understand. You know, how their team uh, is influenced and how they can be just a better leader. So, I really lean on that kind of stuff just to keep me in check. And then I have a handful of uh, personal and professional mentors and friends that also are a little more abrasive on purpose to make sure that I keep myself in line, which I'm very thankful for, uh, just to make sure that we're all moving forward and we're not just assuming how things are, should be and continuing to expand not only yourself, but the team. I mean, to the team, to me, is the most important thing. And the more that I can learn to help them, the better off I'll be.
0: How do you think about your network, right? There's a term, nodal networking, that I've, I've recently been exposed to. But it's the idea that, and, and there's the adage, your network is equal to your net worth. Do you mindfully curate your network? Are there people that you seek out to put into your network? Are there people that might be negative or abrasive, or you know, not abrasive? You said you had abrasive friends, but negative or particularly um, not constructive where you will remove them from your network? Like, how do, how do you think about that as you've, you know, at this point in your life, in your career? Uh
1: the abrasiveness on my friends is abrasively honest about that, but yeah, uh, you know, there. I've always looked at it. There's a there's a time and place to be unhappy with a situation or unhappy with a time in your life, and I think that people should reflect on that and absorb it. But if it starts to affect your circle of influence, that's where you've got to take a step back and either have someone help kind of write you, or you have to let them go. I mean, that's one way we grow as professionals and personally, right? I've had to push a few of those folks out of my life simply because they can't get out of that hole. I truly hope that they come back at some point. But, you know, I, I do, You know, misery loves company and that tends to what they attract, right? And I'm not that kind of person. I really look at it as a perspective of half glass, glass, half full. How do we move forward? How do we break things? How do we have a little bit of fun? You know, days are going to be hard, but that's okay. And if we can help them or I can help them get out of that, you know, in that circle of influence, let's do it. Um, on your question about seeking people out to be kind of introduce yourself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I will talk to anybody. I love to talk to people. It's probably one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. Drives my friends and wife crazy, but that is what it is. Uh, you know, especially like if, um, to your example, like the the Twitter stuff, you know, one of the reasons I like these kind of events, if you see somebody that, you know, is pretty active and they're pretty, you know, open about a, a topic or a situation or whatever it might be, and you see them out there. I would love to go and, and you know fist bump them or shake their hand or give them a hug or whatever just to understand them, get to know them a little bit better, and you know because if you're if you're continuing to absorb what they've got, it just makes you a better person in the, in the long run.
0: No, I I agree. And uh, Jessica on my team, she's listening to us, and she just messaged me, "You need to go ride bikes with Toby." I I agree. <laughs> so when we're in the the same time and place. We'll, we'll, have, to, uh, we'll have to go ride bikes. Look forward to that. I'm game. Let's go. You'll have to bring it down to my speed. I'm just saying, you know, there's there's like Toby's speed, and then there's my son Max's speed, and then there's my speed. And so long as you're That's willing fine.
1: to take we'll it down a gear. Well, we'll go on a brewery ride. We'll go ride brewery to brewery. We'll have some fun, right?
0: I you, Sign me up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. I love yeah. it. Toby, for those uh, that would love to get in touch with you directly or follow you on the the social medias or the Twitter sphere, uh, what are the different channels or handles that you want to uh, to pass off here? and we'll we'll drop them into the the notes on social media. We'll also put it on the page notes uh, when we post this up on our website. What would you uh, give to the audience?
1: Sure. So uh, my handle across all social platforms are is the same. It's at Toby Tungle. Uh, And then, you know, if they want to hit me on email, it's my first initial last name at epifan.com. I welcome it Or anybody that wants to reach out, just chat. Um, I have a lot of those casual locations all day long on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to get back any way I can.
0: Awesome. Toby, it's been a blast having you on show 210, sir. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head over to our website at onefirefly.com forward slash A-U. There you'll find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook live recordings, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please follow us on social media. We are at One Firefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.